Uh, Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 this morning, if you would. Romans chapter 5. We'll get there in just a moment um, to look at the verse. Uh, We're going to look at verse number 8, but I want you to, to notice the first two words there are the words, but God. Have you ever stopped to think about how important those two words are? But God. All of us have things that happen in our lives that we would say, this would have happened, but God. I would be on my way to hell today, but God. There are just many of them. The scriptures fill with them. Luke 16, 15. The Bible says, and he said unto them, ye are they which justify yourselves before men. It's talking about the Pharisees. You justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your heart. That's, that's the other direction. But the truth is, we sometimes get to feeling pretty, pretty good about ourselves, but we have to remember that God knows our heart. He knows more about us than, than we assume. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Acts 7 and verse 9. And the patriarchs, patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. Remember that? Egypt got, I mean, uh, 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 Joseph, through a series of circumstances, ended up in a pit, and then in prison, and then finally in the palace. The reason he started out in the pit and ended up in the palace are those two words, but God. It was, it was because God was involved. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul said, I have planted and Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. Sometimes we think that we're the ones that are responsible for what happens in people's lives. That's a that's a that's a man-centered uh, way of thinking. It's it's not just wrong. It is dishonoring to the Lord because He's the one that is responsible for anything good that happens in any person's life. Everything good that's ever happened in your life is because God was involved. But God. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, But as, a, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prefer, prepared for them that love Him. God has provided all kinds of things for those of us who love Him. The next two words are, But God... And he hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The only way that we can grow, the only way that we can become better Christians, the only way that we can have the full understanding of what God wants is if God reveals it to us. That's the way it works. 1 Corinthians 10.13 There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You deal with temptation? You, you, you know, we have a tendency to think of temptation as being something that younger folks deal with. But you know, older folks sometimes deal with temptation too. David, when he was at the end of his life, failed to conquer a very severe temptation when pride filled his heart. When he had, he had conquered everything, God had given him tremendous victories, and he sat down and he's recounting all of those wonderful things that God has done. And then he starts thinking, you know what? 
Uh, I wonder how many how many soldiers we have in Israel right now. You know, that's that's how we won all these battles. We've got this great army. So he numbered the people. And the Bible says it was because of his pride that God judged him and all of Israel. And thousands of people died as a result of that. There's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. And he will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. Today we're going to look at the most important but God in all of Scripture. It is the essential component of God's message to man. It is a bold declaration of God's love for man. One of the meanings of the word commendeth. What is the, the, the meaning of the word commendeth? First verse, verse 5, uh, I'm sorry, verse 8 of Romans chapter 5 says, But God commendeth his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does that word commendeth mean? It means to show or to establish or to exhibit or to prove. That's, that's the primary meaning of that word commendeth. But God commendeth. God proved his love toward man in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This verse, this but God, I believe provides absolute proof of God's love. Now I want you to notice three things in this verse. First of all, I want you to notice the people involved in the declaration. The Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us. First person is God. And then that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The second person or the second group of people are sinners. God and sinners. Those are, that's who, who we're talking about here. Now, we know that God is up here. Sinners are down here. If you put them on, 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 on a horizontal plane, God is so far removed from what we are that it's almost impossible to fathom that there could be any interaction at all. God is, is God, and, and we as men are sinners. They are polar opposites. Consider, first of all, the sovereignty of God. John, in his first epistle, tells us, gives us communication, information about the nature of God. First uh, John 4, 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, love is not all God is, and it's not. Love is not the defining characteristic of his nature. Holiness is, but God is love. There is no understanding of love without understanding who God is. What we call love on this earth, among humans, sometimes is is so far removed from what genuine love is that it, it's barely distinguishable. God's love is very different than man's love. And, uh, and God is love. Secondly, John says, 1 John 5.20, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. The Bible says that God is not only love, God is life. There is no life outside of God. Life does not exist. Nothing lives if it is not for God. Man cannot create life. 
They can do all kinds of things, but they cannot create life. They can put all the cells together in a scientific way that makes the, 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 the item have all of the, the necessary ingredients, but they can't make it live. God is the only one that can do that because God is life. We have life today because he created us. He made us. And uh, the Bible says before he made us, before he made us while we were in the womb, he knew us. And all of our members were in his mind there. God created us. He made us live. He is life. And then thirdly, 1 John 1 and verse 5 says, This then is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is love. God is life. God is light. God is the source of our our creation, of our life. God is the source of everything that we know. He is our light. And God is the one who is responsible for our love. God's nature is revealed in three specific ways. First is character. He is holy. God is holy. In him is no fault at all. Number two, his conduct. He is righteous. He has never done anything wrong. Never said anything wrong. He has never thought anything wrong. There is no fault in him whatsoever. Now, I don't know about you, but this morning I got up, and uh, between the time I got up and the time I got to church, I've done a lot of things. I can't, I can't you know, I, I, I won't list all of them. Some of them I'm aware of, some of them I'm not. But the truth is, we are filled with error. And we do things without intending to sometimes, but we still do them. Why? Because our character, our nature, is that we are sinners. God's nature is that he is holy, he is righteous, and the third thing, his choices, he is faithful. He does what he says he will do. You ever have a bad contract, sign of contract, and the other people didn't feel their, fulfill their, their side of the bargain? You ever have a situation where somebody made a promise to you, they didn't do what they said they would do? Now, sometimes... It may be that they didn't do what they said they would do because they had a hindrance. It wasn't their fault in the sense that they didn't intentionally not do what they said they did. Sometimes it may be that they just simply forgot. Do you ever forget and somebody got mad at you and you say, oh, and you feel so bad about it and you do all kinds of things trying to make it up, but the truth is, the thought was there. You didn't intend it, but it was there. We don't always intend to do wrong, and our choices sometimes are not, are not motivated by wrong, wrong thinking, but we do wrong because it's our nature. It's just who we are. I, 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 there are times when I say things and I think immediately, what in the world was I... How could I be that dumb? To say that. Now you're surprised that I could be dumb. I know. Nobody would have thought that about me. My wife knows that I can be. I'm not supposed to talk about my wife. I'm somebody. She doesn't mind it, and I and I and I and usually I say good things about her, 
And that wasn't bad. I wasn't saying anything bad about it. It was just that she has the wisdom to know that sometimes I'm dumb. We're all that way. We do things, say things, think things. We don't always fulfill our obligations. We don't always hold up our end of the bargain. You know, God has never failed to do what he said he would do. He is faithful. Every choice he makes is according to his promises. So, God is on one side of this equation. But God commended his love, love toward us and while we were yet sinners. Sinners, the other side. That's us. The sinful inhabitants of time. God is the uh, sovereign God of eternity. We are sinful inhabitants of time. We live in time. And uh, sinners are the exact opposite of God. So whatever God is, we aren't. We are sinners because we've fallen short of God's standard. God is here, and we're somewhere at an immeasurable distance below. And, uh, and we fall short. We, everything that He is, everything that He is, we are not. God is love, but because of our sin, we can be filled with hate. God's, God's nature is that He is righteous. He never does anything wrong. We have a rough time. We have a hard time trying to avoid doing wrong. It's easy for us to do wrong. His choice is He is faithful. We are, by our very nature, unfaithful. Um, man is unholy. Man is unrighteous. Man is unfaithful. Psalm 58 and verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Did you know babies can lie? You say, well, they don't know enough. That's not true. They know exactly what's going on. That's why even when they're very small, they, they, they can't hardly even talk yet, but they get into something they shouldn't be in. Maybe they got in, got some chocolate candy they weren't supposed to have or cookies or whatever, and they got their faces just smeared with all kinds of chocolate. And mom comes along and she looks at the little guy. Now, he can't even talk hardly yet. But she says, did you get into the cookies? And he says, are you sure? Oh, I, didn't get any, I didn't get any cookies. And the, and the evidence all over his face. What are they doing? They're lying. They know what they did and they know they were not supposed to do it. And they're they're. You know, babies are cute, and they're cuddly, and they're wonderful, and they're lovable. It's just a shame that they're still human. Be nice if they really were little angels and never would do anything wrong. But, but they are wicked. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Man fails to recognize the depth of his depravity. Man has no sense of the concept of God's essential holiness. And man's sensitivity has been blunted by his friendship with sin. We are so well acquainted with that which is wrong that we get to the place where we think it must be okay. In our society today, Everything is turned on its head. And it's just hard 
to understand how it could be that things are so twisted in people's thinking. I mean, people, people talk about, about the importance of life and then advocate for taking it before the child is ever born. It's unreal how twisted our thinking is. And it's because we become so comfortable with sin. We get to the place where we feel like there are certain things that we do that must be okay. Everybody does it. Nobody even thinks it's wrong anymore. You know what? My truth says it's okay to cheat sometimes in some areas. My truth tells me that it's okay to shade or to be, be a little careless or be, be a little less than honest in dealing with somebody. That's the way we think. That's our society today. We have certain sins that we consider to be serious sins and other sins that we consider to be acceptable sins. Those sins that are so obvious and that seem to hurt people, we don't, I don't want to acknowledge them, but some sins of the heart are, they just go without being concerned about. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you talk to somebody and you're very friendly to them and, and, uh, and is there, is there something wrong? No, no, everything, everything's just fine. Everything's fine. And then you get in your car and you're on your way home and you start talking about that person and you tell your wife, how bad things were and why you feel the way you do and all this kind of stuff without even realizing that we have been deceitful to the person we're talking to and that we're being, being uh, our, our attitude toward that person is wrong when we're saying what we're saying to a friend or a wife or a spouse or whatever. We need to be very, very careful about getting complacent about certain sins in our lives. Man's sensitivity has been blunted by his friendship with sin. And, uh, and, and then you combine that with the fact that we, we have no sense of the concept of God's holiness, that God is holy in the sense that he is absolutely pure and absolutely righteous, and that he is the judge that sits in a court that is going to determine the fate of men who choose to reject him, and we have a, a, a situation where we get comfortable, we don't tremble at his purity, we're not, we're not uh, amazed at his, at his power, we're not overwhelmed by his passion, we, we just don't understand who he is. So the, the, the characters involved, God, the sovereign, he inhabits eternity, and man, the sinner who inhabits time. The central truth of the declaration, number two. The central truth of the declaration. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, and there it is, Christ died for us. There are two words in the statement we must understand very clearly. The first one is, who is it that died? It is Christ, the Son of God. Now, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, they have the same nature, the same character. There's equality of essence, but there is subordination of function. God the Father is the sovereign God of eternity. Christ is the Savior. 
who came to inhabit flesh and live on this earth and die on the cross to provide our sin, uh, our, our, the payment for our sins, so we can be reconciled to God. Christ's Holy Spirit is the one who lives in our heart to guide us into all truth. He brings the conviction that leads us to Christ, that helps us to know the truth, that helps us to make wise choices. He's the one who prays for us when we, when we don't know how to pray for ourselves. He's our comforter, our helper while we're on this earth. All three of them are God. But Christ, the Son of God, He's the one who died for us. Christ died for us. He's the one who died. Now that's not the carpenter from Galilee. It is God incarnate, a human man, a human being, who was all God and all man. Turn to the book of Colossians, if you would, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 9 while you're turning. We want to pick up the, the point I want to make begins verse 15. But these first verses need to be, I need to read them for the sake of context. It says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Who is? Who are we talking about? His dear Son. Who is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things and by Him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So, that's who we're talking about. It is the one who created all things. It is the one by whom all things consist. All things have their being. He is the preeminent one. The one who is, in whom all fullness dwells. That's the one who came and died for on, for us on the cross. Scripture tells us that a man who is alive can actually be dead. So it's, it's, uh, 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 I'm sorry, uh, John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Secondly, Christ is the one who died. The second point is he died. That's what happened to him. So what does it mean that Christ died? Well, Jesus never spoke of death as being physical in nature. Death was never in his mind physical in nature. When he talked about Lazarus to begin with, he said he sleepeth. And then the disciples were, they didn't understand, so finally he said plainly he died physically. But in, but his, his mind he was just sleeping. Because physical death is not death. Jesus never spoke of death 
as being physical in nature. And scripture actually tells us that a man who is alive can already be dead. Uh, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 6, the Bible says, But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Paul talked to those in Rome and said over and over again that they were dead already, but they needed to be made alive in Christ. So death is not physical in nature. That's the way we look at it as humans. But death, by its spiritual definition, is spiritual. And, um, and in a spiritual sense, death is literally separation from God. And uh, I've, I've mentioned this many times. I want to remind you, this is important. I think we need to, we need to keep talking about it because it has been in our thinking so ingrained that salvation means that we go to heaven when we die. That is one aspect of salvation. But the primary benefit of our salvation is that we have a relationship with the Lord. Our relationship with the Creator of the universe is, has been restored. We were, we, were, we were separated from Him by the barrier of sin. Christ died and He took that sin barrier out of the way. And now I know God in a personal way. He is my Father. And that's very, very important. The, the separation from Him is gone. You remember Jesus' words on the cross where He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? G. Campbell said, G. Campbell Morgan said this, after hearing that human speech, what Jesus said there, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? After hearing that human speech in which the infinite and eternal sobs itself out in the little language of a fallen race, what do I find? I find that God has lost himself to find man. Now think about that for a moment. God lost himself. God lost himself. God forsaken of God. Why? So that he could reconcile man to himself. God gave his son and forsook him while he was on the cross, so that you and I do not have to be forsaken of God, so that we can have a relationship with him. Christ died for us, means that he paid our sin debt so that we could be reconciled to God. That surely is God's absolute proof of his love for man. But thirdly, I want you to notice the power of the gospel. So what is it that happened? Well, an infinite gulf was spanned. Again, God in his holiness, man in his sinfulness. God in heaven, man on this earth. A, a, an expanse too broad for us to, to even fathom. But God spanned that gulf. Essential holiness. God in his nature is essentially holy. What that means is that that is the primary character trait. 
It is who he is. That is, that is what defines his nature. Essential holiness reached out to total depravity. Think about that. That gap. Essential holiness, total depravity. Righteousness sought to rescue those who were enslaved by the power of wickedness. Now you understand what that means? We did not have the ability to restore ourselves to that relationship with God. We are enslaved. We were enslaved by the power of wickedness. In other words, we were chained by evil because it is our nature. It's not like when we heard that God loved us, we could all of a sudden say, oh, well, if I can just change my ways, then I'll, I'll, I'll reconcile myself to God. I'll get rid of all the bad stuff I've done. I'll quit. And from this point on, I'll never do anything wrong. I'll never say anything wrong. I'll never think anything wrong. The problem is we're chained to the wickedness. We're enslaved by it. We don't have. We don't have that option. It's not there because of our nature. And God, because of his nature, can't just reach down and embrace us. So, he sought to rescue those who were enslaved by the power of wickedness. Understand God's nature. He's holy. He is righteous. And he is faithful. God's holiness reached out to total depravity. God's righteousness sought to rescue those who were enslaved by the power of wickedness. And God's faithfulness made certain that sinful men who were lost to their Creator because of unfaithful choices, would have an opportunity to be reconciled to God. God was faithful to do what was necessary to provide us an opportunity for salvation, and love was the reason for it all. So read the verse again. But God, we were on our way to a Christless eternity, but God, we were loathsome, depraved, and unlovable, but God. We were without hope, but God. And we did not care, but God. What did he do? He commendeth. He proved his love for us when he died on the cross. Christ died for us. Ephesians 3, 17-19 we find Paul's prayer for believers and he prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love listen, listen to the rest of this might be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Now that, doesn't, that, that, that sounds like a contradiction there, doesn't it? I'm praying that you'll know the love of Christ which, by the way, passes knowledge. How can you know something that's unknowable? That's, that's what he's praying. To know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye may be filled with all the goodness, all the fullness of God. Marianne sang that, that song earlier, A Passion for God. A Passion for God. 
You know how you get that passion for God? Is to know what is the breadth and length and depth and height of the love of Christ which passeth knowledge so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's how, that's how you become what God wants you to be. That's how you get that passion. That's how you are able to adjust your motive so that in everything you do, your first thought is to honor the Lord. We talk some time about heaven and about what it's going to be like when we get there. The thing that is going to be most significant about us being there is that we're going to be there where God is. Our Heavenly Father is going to be there. Our Savior is going to be there. The Spirit of God is going to be there. We're going to be in His presence. And you think, well, that's the most wonderful thing. It is by far the most wonderful thing of all. But you understand that there are going to be millions and millions of people just like us that are there. We are still going to be constrained by space. We don't have omnipresence as a result of our salvation. So we're going to be constrained by space. We're not all going to be able to be right there at his feet. But God is not constrained by space. So here's the point. It doesn't matter where we are. He's going to be there. We will all be in his presence just like we are right here now, no matter where we are, because he's everywhere. And, uh, and, and we're going to be filled with the knowledge of his fullness. And that's going to be a wonderful, wonderful thing. A couple have been married for 15 years. I don't know how long each of you have been married. But this couple were having more than the usual marital disagreements. They wanted to make their marriage work. However, uh, they were having problems. So they agreed on this idea that the wife had. For one month, they decided, they agreed that they would each drop a slip of paper in a fault, in, 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 a, in, in what they call the fault box. Every time their spouse did something they didn't like or, 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 or did something that was, was not good, didn't help the relationship, then, then they would write it down and they would drop it in their fault box. And so they started doing that, you know. And I, I don't know about you, but if, if we started doing that, uh, my wife would not have time to do anything else. She'd be writing notes all day long, you know. And we'd have to get a refrigerator box to hold them all a month. Yeah. But, uh, but they decided to do that. They thought that would be good. They, they simply wrote their irritations on a slip of paper and dropped it in their respective box. The wife was very diligent writing her irritations. Some read, left the lid off the jelly jar. Wet towels on the shower floor. Dirty socks left in the floor. On and on until the end of the month came. At the end of the month, after dinner one evening, they decided it was time, and they exchanged boxes and uh, began reading one another's irritations. The husband read and deflected on what he had done wrong in his wife's eyes. 
she gave him the box. He opened it up, started picking them up, and started reading off. And and so he read them all off and, and, and made his apologies and said he would work on those. Uh, that, and that ought to be our attitude. That's the way we ought, we ought to do things. But then the wife picked up her box. And she opened the box. And to her amazement, every slip that she pulled out just had three simple words on it. I love you. You know what? God's irritation box for us, the papers say, every one of them say, I love you. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He proved his love. And I absolutely believe when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be faced with a list of things that I did wrong. Because all that's taken care of. Jesus died on the cross. He paid my sin debt. My sins are removed. And I'm not going to face it. If I get to heaven and I start remembering things on this earth that I did the wrong, and I start apologizing, I think the only thing I'll hear is God's going to say, I love you. I love you. That's why he sent his son, and that is his nature, his character, his holiness demanded it, his righteousness demonstrated it, and his love proves why he did it. God help us to remember that God loves us and may our passion always be to serve him not because we just are serving but because of our love for him and our gratitude for what he's done for us. Let's stand together with heads by nice